Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, family, we've been in a, a series entitled Who We Are, where we've been taking an in-depth look at our vision and our values here at Renewal, and by way of reminder, our vision and values, what what, what we're doing this for, because you're probably like, why are we looking at our vision and values? Well, it's the new year, but also, uh, we've been bombarded, and I don't know about you, as I've been saying throughout the weeks before this, I don't know about you, but I've been bombarded by news and different things that have been coming into my phone as soon as I wake up, all of this, even today, I'm reading news, and I'm thinking about, man, what's going on in our country and everything around us, as well as in our city with the COVID vaccine and everything, so it, 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 if, you're, if you're not aware of all of the news and everything that's going on, which we're getting, we're taking in more than we have ever done in our lifetime, probably, the reality is, is that we start to become some of the things that we read, or we start to believe many things, and, and we get overwhelmed by this, and I think it's a good time for us to just slow down a minute, refocus, and come back to the table and say, Jesus, who are we in you, and who, who are you? What does that mean for us individually? What does it mean to be in you uh, and live through you and with you corporately? What does that mean for our church? So, so we're taking time to look at our vision and values. And our vision here at Renewal is that we want to be a gospel-centered church that seeks the welfare of the city and so that the city is better because we're here. And we believe this vision rests on three pillars, as I like to call it, that are rhythmic and, and indicative of every believer. That is to be renewed, rebuilt, and released to do the work of Jesus Christ, not only here in this city, but ultimately the world. Now, hear me, this vision rests upon, or I would like to say work is worked out in our six core values, which are, here they are again, being gospel-centered, aligning biblically, loving others, community, loving the city, and making disciples. Now, throughout the last couple of weeks, we've taken a look at what it means to be gospel-centered. We've taken a look at what it means to align biblically. Today, we're going to look at what it means to love others well. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in John chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. If you've got it, go ahead and write got it in the chat. John 13, 1 through 5. Hear now the reading of God's word, starting in verse 1. Text reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Very words of God. Amen. Today I want to preach simply on loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. Let's pray before we go further. Father, thank you for this morning, God. And I I simply just ask right now that you would hide me behind your cross. 
so that you can be lifted up. Father, decrease me so that you may increase. Have your way in everything that's said and done right now. Let my words be your words. Be uplifted in this place. Get glory. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all said together, amen and amen. Well, today I want to talk about a fairly misused and overused word, a four-letter word, love. Now, this seems probably like a pretty simple topic to preach on, but honestly, I, 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 I beg the contrary. It's really, it's been tough, you know, when I'm thinking about what to preach or how to preach this. I, I started to ask my, myself the question, do I really love like Jesus? Do I really love like him? And then secondly, do I even really understand his magnet, the magnitude of his love towards me? Do I, do I love like Jesus and do I understand the magnitude of his love towards me? And as I thought about this topic, I, I thought back way to my childhood when I was a kid and growing up in Gary, about third grade or so, there was this kid named Simeon. Simeon was the, the biggest kid in the school and he also was the biggest bully in the school. Now, y'all have to understand, I used to hate this guy. I, I literally had a hatred in my heart for him because he would pick on people. And, and I couldn't stand when this brother would pick on people. It literally would make my, my skin crawl because I was the guy on the other side of the coin that was always trying to stick up for the person that was picked on. So I couldn't stand when this dude would pick on people. He was like my arch nemesis. He, he, he's kind of like the Joker. I'm like the Batman. So when this dude starts picking on people, you know what happens? I put my parenthetical cape on and it's time to go to battle. I got my Batman suit on. No, not really. Not really. Not really. But have y'all ever been around? somebody that I mean that literally made your skin crawl you couldn't stand them and see the thing about this is that at the same time of not liking this dude Simeon there there was this thing going on in my heart where I I was feeling like I I need to like care for him and and share share love with him share a love for him and 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 I'm like no I don't want to do that and I remember one time after basketball practice, my mother, if y'all have never met my mother, she is the kindest woman you'll ever meet in your life. She, if, you have never, if you haven't eaten a meal, you're coming to her house to eat. If you don't have a place to stay, you're sleeping at our house. If you need a ride home, you're going to get a ride home from my mom. So after practice, we're getting picked up by our parents, and I go out to the car, and I get in the car, and immediately my mom sees Simeon standing there by himself in the dark after practice. We're in Gary, Indiana, and she says, why, why is the boy standing by himself? Who is that? And I said, oh, that, oh that's Simeon. He, he's cool, Ma. He's cool. We can go home, Ma. We can go home. And she's like, no, no, no. He can't stand out here by himself. So we sat there, and we waited for a while, and then all of a sudden she's like, look, look, let's just take him home. I'm like, no, Ma. He's cool. <laughs> he's cool. She's like, no, we're taking him home. He gets in our car, sits in the back of the van and 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 I'm it's quiet we pull up to this dark street we get to his house and I can't see his house I'm like Simeon man where's your house and he said it's it's right there and I looked out the window and I see this so rundown piece of a home and my man gets out the car and he walks up to the house and it's in that moment that my heart just sank and it and it quickly turned from, from hating this guy to caring for him. 
Me, me and Simeon became good friends, and after that, he stopped bullying people, too. And to this day, I think back to this boy named Simeon, and I, I can't think, help to think that all he needed was someone to show him some love. All he needed was someone to, to care for him. And I think about now, and, and, and the question becomes, where, how many parenthetical Simeons do we have in our life? That we just, we just refrain from loving. We see them hurting. We see them where they are. And we, we, we just refrain from taking that step towards them. We don't love them because something's different about them. We, we refuse to love them. So we're too occupied with ourselves. Too occupied with our status. We're too occupied with what it's going to do to us. And see, here, here, here's the convicting thing of, about salvation. Here, here's the convicting part about salvation is, is that Jesus did not spare any of himself to love us. He gave it all up on the cross. He died for you and I. But yet when we come to believe in Jesus, we go on about our merry way. Now we're a Christian. We forget to love others the same way he loved us. That's convicting. Look at our world today. People aren't loving each other. It's filled with hatred, corruption. Fam, family, I, I want to talk about two things, and I'm out your way today. If we're, if we're going to love others well like Jesus, there's two points I have. Number one, we have to understand how Jesus loved. And number two, we have to follow his example. Number one, we have to understand how Jesus loved. And number two, we have to follow his example. Now, before we jump into our passage, I got to give you a bit of context on what's going on here in John chapter 13 and in our passage. See, the book of John was written by John. Now, this is not John the Baptist. This is John, the son of Zebedee. He is one of the 12 apostles. He is said to be the disciple that Jesus loved. You see this in verse 23 of John 13. Now, hear me, being this disciple that Jesus loves, he, he makes it his mission throughout the whole book of John to to make Jesus known. He, he wants us to know who he is and his deity and him being the promised Messiah, the one that would die, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you can be saved. Today, our text starts out with, what's, with what most scholars would call the farewell passage, where, where pretty much all of Jesus's so-called followers now have deserted him, and he's left with his 12 disciples. He he uses chapters 13 through 17 to focus his attention on his disciples. In chapter 14, Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He makes this exclusive claim that nobody can come to the Father except through him. He also promises that the Holy Spirit will be a helper, that he will send to be with us always if you believe. And in chapter 15, he goes on, he tells them that I'm the vine and you're the branches. And just like the, the branch has to abide in the, the vine to bear fruit, hear me, we have to abide as believers in Jesus in order to bear fruit. He says, I abide in me and I in you. 
In chapter 16, Jesus keeps going and he tells them about the work of the Holy Spirit, that that he will come to convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment and that the Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth and that he won't speak on his own authority, but he will speak on the authority of the father and then the son, Jesus. He will bring glory to Jesus and glory to the father. He will give what belonged to Jesus to the disciples or believers. He also tells them that the weeping that they do right now will soon turn to joy in the morning. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he'll be crucified, but yet he will rise on Sunday morning, resurrection from the dead. He then tells them that they will have hard times on this side of heaven in this world, but take heart because I've already overcome the world. Then in chapter 17, you see one of the most fervent prayers in all of human history, given by Jesus to his father on behalf of his disciples. He, he prays that they may be unified, that they would be one as he and the father are one in John chapter 17. See, Jesus, hear me, truly loves his disciples, and he wants to see them go forth and prevail in advancing the kingdom of God after he leaves them. Y'all stick with me. I, I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. Stay with me on this one. See, Jesus is about to exemplify and carry out the, most, the greatest act of, of love towards any other person in all of human history by death on a cross. He's suffering for those whom he loves and will come to believe in his name. Which brings us to this first point. We have to understand first how Jesus loved in order to know how to love. We got to understand how Jesus loved in order to truly love others. Now, hear me. There is no way that Jesus could die for his people, let alone wash these 12 disciples' stanky, filthy feet in chapter 13. There's no way he could do this, hear me, without having a true love for people. You, you cannot truly serve another person fully without having a genuine love for people, or you're simply doing it out of obligation. Let me, let me say that again. You cannot serve another person fully without truly having a genuine love for people, or you're just simply doing it out of obligation. Now, if we look at verse 1 in chapter 13, it says that Jesus knew that his hour was coming. And having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. Now, like I said earlier, you have to know about the one who loved first and understand how he loved in order to love. Which means that we can't just skip right over this verse here where he says having loved and just keep going to the foot washing. No, no, we got we to gotta stick around for a bit and see what Jesus is actually talking about here. What, what, the, what, the, what, what is the passage actually saying? See, there's a reason that it's here. So what we're going to do is we're going to pitch our tent for a bit and we're going to stay here. Is that cool with y'all? Cool, cool. I, I, I can hear you through the screen. I, I heard y'all say it's cool, Pastor D. Cool. This verse where he says having loved, everybody say having loved. Where he says having loved or he loved is in its active form. It's in his active form, meaning that he's not just saying he loves. 
And he's definitely not just performing lip service. Y'all know what I mean, performing lip service. You used to do this in high school. Many of y'all did. Girl, I love you. You, you do the little the game, who could say I love you first? Y'all remember that. It's just performing lip service. You don't even know what love is, but you say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You don't know what it means. That's lip service. But hear me. That, that's not what Jesus is doing right here in this passage. No, no, no. He's actually living an active lifestyle of love toward his disciples, which is what we see here in this passage. Now, this word love here in the Greek is pronounced agapao, agapao, which is where we get our word agape. It's this unconditional type of love. It, it connotes that Jesus is actively loving them. The, the interpretation of love right here means to cherish. It means to have affection for. It means to take pleasure in or to prove one's love to another. This is a real love. This is an intentional and indicative type of love, an unconditional type of love. We see Jesus doing this with his disciples Throughout his time here on earth and right here in our passage of scripture today, we see Jesus intentionally pulling his disciples to the side for the next four chapters and he's spending time with them. He's pouring into them. He's teaching them. He's putting all his attention into his disciples. He washes their feet. He teaches them. He prays intentionally for them. And, and in order to do this, y'all hear me, Jesus had to intentionally remove himself from the picture. He had to remove himself because, hear me, the reason I say this is because, because it's a lot easier to love someone that you want to love, that you have feelings for. It's much harder to love someone who you know is against you or who would be considered your enemy. Now, now, what am I getting at? In this passage, Jesus, hear me, y'all, is not only washing his disciples' feet, but he's also washing the feet of Judas Iscariot. Judas would be the one, as most of us know, that would go on to betray Jesus. As a matter of fact, when you read this chapter, later on the chapter, that night, my man Judas is sitting at the supper. This is after they have got their feet washed by Jesus, and, and Judas sticks his bread in the wine, and, and he goes on about his business. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells him in verse 27, he said, look, on Jesus, go on, Judas, Judas, go on, man. You know what you're about to do. Go on, go on, do what you're going to do. Get it done with. Now, 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 hear me. As I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, wow, wow. How in the world... Can you love someone who, who you know is against you, who, who you already consider an enemy, who you know will betray you? I Man, could y'all do that? This is his enemy. How could you love someone that's your enemy? But that's exactly what Jesus does here in the passage. It says in Matthew 5, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I think this is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture, and I also think it's one of the hardest to live out for humans because it's totally contrary to human nature. I've told y'all before, see, human nature says if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Human nature says if you kick me, I'm going to kick you back. Human nature says if you spit on me, boy, in my Kevin Hart voice, it's about to go down. But why is it? In this passage, we see Jesus 
washing the very feet of the person who is about to perform the most heinous act of betrayal in all of human history by kissing our Savior on the cheek, the one who just washed his feet, the one that will die for us. Why is it that we see Jesus washing his feet? The answer is that Jesus loves unconditionally. And he recognizes the fact that we're fallen people. He recognizes we're, we're not holy. And, and here's the other side. Jesus had a plan. And he knows the will for his life at this time. So here, here's the other point. This ain't really even about Judas betraying Jesus. Jesus knew Judas was going to do that. We see that in verse 3 before he gets to washing the feet. He knows what's about to happen. So really, Judas is just a part of a bigger plan of salvation. But my real point is that Jesus died on the cross for all who will believe. Keyword, will believe, meaning that everyone that will believe in him hadn't done so yet. That's you and I. We weren't even, we weren't around back then, so we had definitely hadn't believed. So we were still enemies of the cross. We're still enemies until we believe. This means that, that Jesus didn't just serve and love his enemies, but he also died for his enemies. Because until we believe, y'all just stated it, hear me, y'all, we're still enemies of God. We're still innately sinful. We're, we're still in our sin and in need of a Savior. And Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it this way, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, ooh, I love it, God, Christ died for us. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I don't know about you all, but I'm not sure I could die for my enemy. I'm not sure I could die for someone who's called me out of my name or I'm not sure I could die for somebody who doesn't like me because of the color of my skin. I'm not sure I could die for somebody who publicly disgraced me. And to make it worse, if you look at this passage, this is someone who Jesus loved. But the passage says in Romans that God loved you so much that even in your active rebellion against him, he still set forth a plan of salvation, sending Jesus to die for us while we were still enemies of God in our sinful nature. Do you understand what God has done? Do you understand how he has loved us? And and I'm not even talking about Jesus right now. I'm talking about the love of God. See, many times we forget about the love of God. We start reading the Old Testament and we read it out of context and we start thinking God is so vindictive. He's this mean God. But the reality is that God, for hundreds and hundreds on top of years, he chased after the people and continually forgave them over and over again. And then after 400 years of silence, when he should have just wiped us all out, he says, Jesus, y'all, we forget about the love of God. First John 4, 9 through 10 says, in this the love of who? The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God loved us so much 
He loved us so much that he sent his son to serve and to die for us. The wrath of sin has been satisfied by his son dying. The magnitude of this love is overwhelming. And Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing that can separate believers from this love of God. See, God knowing we were his enemies in sin. Loved us so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus, to die for those who believe. So so we don't just see Jesus loving us, but we see God loving us, sending his son down to earth. And, And here's the reality. God could have stopped right there. God could have stopped right there and just sent his son down to earth, showed us how to to live a good life. Jesus could have chucked us the deuces and said, I'm out of here. Y'all saw me live a perfect life. Now go try to do it on your own. I just showed you how to do it. But somebody should be thanking God all up in the chats right now. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. That the story does not end with Jesus just coming down here, showing us how to live a perfect life. No, 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 no. That's not how it ends. Andrew Murray states in his book, One of my favorite books, Humility. I've told you all about this. If you haven't got a copy, please let me know. You need to get one. It's one that I like to read on a a yearly basis. One of my favorites. Andrew Murray states in his book, Humility, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature, the eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. As the love and condescension of God makes him the benefactor and helper and servant of all, so Jesus of necessity was the incarnate humility. He had to be the incarnate humility. And and so he is still in the midst of the throne, the meek and lowly lamb of God. Now stay with me. Because it says out of necessity. Out of necessity, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. It's this big term that scholars call the hypostatic union. It's God being, Jesus being God, 100% God and 100% man at the same time comes down. He lives a perfect life without sin in front of many people, all of us. And, And Jesus being God, hear me, had the power to overcome sin, which is why he's sent to this earth. God having loved his people so much that even though we were sinful and he cannot stand the stench of sin or the sight of sin, he sends his son Jesus to come down and live the same kind of life we do, meaning he experienced life as we experience it. He experienced temptation and suffering like we experienced it in order to sympathize or understand what it's like for us humans. Now, I don't know about you all, but how many of y'all are how many of y'all are thankful and grateful this morning that Jesus didn't just come down here and live a perfect life, but he lived through all the temptations and the the sin and the mess that that we've lived through. He knows what it's like for us to live on this side of heaven in this world. He knows what it's like to live through the mess of this world. How many of y'all are thankful this morning? See, but here's the thing. This is what I'm really thankful about because Jesus doesn't just stop at learning what it's like for us to go through. He doesn't stop at just sympathizing with our suffering. No, no, no. He realizes then we cannot live up to the holy standard that's set by God. And what does he do? He starts making his road to the cross. He makes his road to the cross. But before I talk about him hanging on the cross, I got to talk about the road to the cross. What does he do? Jesus, as he's captured and he's Dragged out of his out of the place with his with his friends, with his disciples, he is 
punched. He's kicked on. He's stomped out, spit on, crown of thorns around his head. They throw him over a hunch, over this, this hump, this, this log, and they start whipping him. One lash, two lash. Cat and nine tails ripping the flesh off of his body. See, many people should have died from the whipping and the lashing alone. But no, 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 Jesus doesn't stop there. No, what does he do? He gets up from that scourging and he puts that old rugged cross on his back and he starts hiking up this hill called Calvary. He's hiking up there, sweating blood and he's tired and he gets to the top of the hill. They laid a cross on the ground. They put Jesus on top of it. They nail one in his other hand and one in his other hand. They nail his feet to the cross and and then they hang the cross up, and here is Jesus. Stressed wide. Hanging on the cross. Dying for you and I. Family, do you understand the type of painful death that Jesus went through for you and I? That's how much he loved us. And here in our passage, we read about this same Jesus, knowing that that hour is coming, the hour of crucifixion. He stoops down, takes the towel from around his waist, makes himself lower than a servant or a slave and washes 12 guys' filthy feet. This man, Jesus, God in the flesh, gave us the exalt, ultimate example of what it looks like to love someone. But the real question we have to answer as followers of Jesus is are we doing the same? Which brings me to the second point. We have to follow his example. We have to follow his example. The truth is, family, that Jesus calls us to love and do the same to others where he tells the disciples this multiple times throughout this farewell passage, like in chapter 13, the one we're in today, verses 13 through 14, look at it with me. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. You see, what Jesus is saying is that I didn't just save you for your own good, but instead for my glory. I, I did this for the glory of God. I, I want you to share this good news and this love with other people. Family, he doesn't just command believers to love others. But if you haven't caught it by now, Jesus models it. He gives us an example. Everything Jesus did, he did it for the good of other people. He served his disciples. He, he served the people. And most of all, he served his father. He emptied himself so that he could be of use for his father. All throughout scripture in Jesus's ministry, you see him pointing back to the father, giving glory to the father. 
Like in John 5.30, he says these words, I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Don't miss this. Jesus models what following looks like, and he always points back to the Father. He humbles himself. But see, there's the problem with us. I know I'm in your kitchen. Here's the problem with us. See, we, we don't really get past chapter 13 where Jesus is doing something for us. We, we stay at the part where Jesus is washing my feet. Oh, yeah, Jesus is blessing me. I'm, 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 I'm washing. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my blessing. God is doing all these things. We, we like to sit in a place that's comfortable, and we never get to the point of understanding that Jesus didn't just save us for our own good, but he saved us so we could share this good with other people. We tend to never get to the point of understanding that it was never about us in the first place. I mean, Jesus knows this about us. So, so what does he do? He, he makes a new commandment in this same chapter. Verse 34 through 35, look at it. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now hear me. God's plan, his vision has never been just about saving us individually. It's never been just been about our individual good. No, no, no. God has called believers and allowed us to experience the, the, his grace and his mercy, his love and salvation, not just for ourselves, but for others. This means that God has called us to meet the needs of others. He says they will know you. People will know you by your love. See, there there should be this this sense of urgency, this compelling spirit that's welling up within your bones to go out and share the love of God if you've experienced it yourself. Y'all, y'all missing this. Let me try to make it plain. I, I've used this before. I've told y'all about this. But it's kind of like when you got to go use the bathroom really bad. <laughs> if you don't get to a toilet, it's going to be a problem. Some of y'all go with me. I know some of y'all like, Pastor D, you all up in my neighborhood. This fast got me going like I've never gone before. I, I'm, I'm there. All these beans and legumes. I'm trying to make the picture vi- vivid, but it, it may be a little too vivid for you now because I, it, I'm coming in your kitchen with, with this fast. But, you know, you ever been at that place where you, you, you just had to go to the bathroom really bad, and if you don't make it, it's going to be a problem. It's, you're about to burst. Family, what I'm trying to get to you and what I'm trying to tell you is that that's how we should feel bursting with the love of God because we've experienced his grace, his love towards us. There should be nothing that gets in the way of stopping us from sharing this love with others. Christ didn't just die so that we could be good, that we're okay. Oh, we're good and we go on about our way. No, no, no. He didn't just die and say, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit for no reason or just for you to get through your trials. No, no, no. He died and he leaves us with the Holy Spirit because, hear me, as sinful people, we as believers still in our sin, walking around here in the presence of sin, we don't really have the capability or the ability to love like Christ loved, not by ourselves. So what does he do? He says, here's the Holy Spirit. And and, and guess what? One of the fruit of the Spirit is to love. 
It's to love. That, that comes with the Holy Spirit. It's to love like Christ did. So now you can go out and you can share the same love that he shared with you with everyone else. And you can love your neighbors. People that don't look like you. People that do look like you. People that don't, don't eat like you. People don't, that don't vote like you like he did. Because you now possess that same spirit within you. But the question still remains. As I'm talking about all of this. Is are we loving like Christ loved? Let me end with this, and I try to make it a bit more plain for you. I, I've been watching or, or re-watching a lot of The Karate Kid. Oh, I used to love The Karate Kid growing up. Uh, y'all, y'all know what I mean. Some of you that grew up in the 80s, 90s, and even in the 70s, y'all, y'all, everybody knows about The Karate Kid. Y'all, y'all remember the saying, Mr. Miyagi, Wax on. Come on, say it with me. Wax off. I heard you. Wax off. Wax on and wax off. Well, I found out that there's this spinoff series on Netflix called Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. This was the, the, the enemy dojo of Miyagi-Do. This is Cobra Kai. There's this spinoff series now where it's 34 years later where Daniel LaRusso and He's the karate kid, the original karate kid. Him and Johnny Lawrence are here, and they're giving you a little bit more of the story and the background. Johnny Lawrence is the arch nemesis of, of Danny LaRusso. He, he was from the original Cobra Kai. Y'all remember that fight at the end where LaRusso hit him with that uh, that kick that was said to be illegal, but, and you know, I don't even know how he did it. I think he had a broken leg or something like that, but y'all remember that. Back 34 years ago, now they're retelling the story in this new Cobra Kai. It's actually pretty good. But one thing I did notice as I'm watching this that's still the same is that in karate, don't miss this, the student always has to follow the teacher. You cannot be a good student or good at karate if you do not follow someone who's already been trained professionally and knows what they're doing called a sensei. You can't be good at it if you don't learn how to follow your sensei. Now, in the show, there, there's many lessons, but one thing that stays common is this theme of following. Now, without spoiling this series, because some of y'all know want to watch it, Danny LaRusso, he now has a daughter that he's trained in the way of Mr. Miyagi because Mr. Miyagi has now passed away. And there's this scene where Sam, his daughter, is she's going through it, y'all. She's pretty traumatized because she got in this fight with this girl named Tori who was a part of the new Cobra Kai, and, and, and Tori whooped her so good, you know, up and down the hallways in the school, literally. She beat her down, and um, now every time Sam sees Tori, she, she goes into this shock where she, she, she can't move. She doesn't know what to do because she's traumatized from the fight. So uh, the scene goes where she's on this boat with her father, Danny, and... And Danny's trying to get into her and, and ask her, what's really going on? What's, in, what's going on with your feelings? I noticed that you're not the same. And she says, every time I'm around this girl, Tori, I get in shock. I don't know what to do. She, she's vicious. She's mean. She's crazy. And Danny says, look, 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 look. Sam, hear me. The same words that Mr. Miyagi would tell him. When you're down, you're the only one that can get you up when you're down. You're the only one that can get you up 
when you're down. What he's really saying to her is that I've gave you all that I have. I've taught you everything that I know. I've trained you for moments like this. You're the only one that can get you up when you're down. A long story goes short is that she gets in another fight with Tori. Tori comes over to the house and Tori is literally beating the brakes off of Sam. And Sam is on the ground and she peeps, peers down as she's in shock. She can't fight back. She, she peers down at the ground and, and she sees this broken picture of Mr. Miyagi on the ground. And in that moment, in an instant, she remembers her dad's words. Sam, you're the only one that can get you up when you're down. And as soon as she remembers those words, she remembers all of her training. She gets up from the ground and she starts flipping tables and she turns the table literally and starts whooping this girl, Tori, beating the brakes off of her. And as I'm watching this scene, I started to wonder myself, family, how many of us are failing to follow our sensei? How many of us are like Sam in shock, forgetting God's words when it comes to loving others. You still know what to do. We know and believe how Jesus has loved us, but when it comes to obstacles, when someone else, with someone else, whether it's because of our dislike towards them, they, they look different, they vote different, maybe it's their race, or they have a lower socioeconomic status, in those moments... With people that are different than us, we go into spiritual shock, if you want to say, paralyzed, and we refrain from crossing the line and loving someone else. Friends, just think about what our world would be like if we were intentional in how we loved people especially those that were different than us. Just think about it. But, but, but here's the thing. Hear me. This is only possible when we follow our sensei, Jesus. It's to that end that I know someone may be watching and listening and saying, that, that's me. I, up to this moment, I never understood how much Jesus loved me, how much he went through on my behalf. And I want, I want you to hear me. Jesus loves you. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. And you'll be saved. But see, on the other hand, there are many of us that are listening right now. And there are some of us that are doing this pandemic. It, it's given us an excuse not to engage with certain people for a variety of different reasons. Whether it's their race or the racism in our world, the political climate, status, or even your own failures. You've refrained from loving others. And right now, quite frankly, we need to repent. And just like Sam, remember the same words well, those words of our sensei Jesus, they will know you are my disciples by your love. Renewal, hear me. 
When we first understand how Jesus loved and how he crossed this major line, coming from the comforts of heaven down to earth to live amongst us, but not only that, and die for us, when we understand the magnitude of his love, it will compel us to love others. And when we love like Jesus, family, that's when we see this world change. That's when we see things around us change. Amen? Let's love like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are truly an awesome God. You're truly a good God. Thank you for loving us the way you did first. Lord, I pray that that we'll love like you, even in moments where it's tough to do so. That through our love, we'll point more people to you. That we'll hold on and we'll be the church that you've called us to be, the individuals you've called us to be. And see, we'll see a different city and a different world of you, Jesus, and you working through us. Thank you, God. It's in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray all these things. We all said together, amen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.